Hey, everybody, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Trevor. I'm here with Mark. How are you feeling today, Mark? Uh, I feel like an old man. Been replacing flooring last couple of days. How are you feeling? Oh, my God. Replacing flooring. <laughs> it's like laminate. So it's it's easy enough, but this is a scored. skill. This is a skill that I do not have. I guess yeah. I, I guess I feel like a young man because I don't do that. Okay. <laughs> so no, you've been on your knees? Modern man. <laughs> a modern yeah, I got man. the knee pads and hammering stuff. Oh god. Blisters, all that. Yeah. It's fun though. So you're removing a laminate floor in preparation for no, or... remove removing tile. We removed the tiles and then replaced it with laminate. Uh, okay. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. It's done already. Finished Damn. it two days, but yeah. Okay. Well, you told me that you have an intro prepared. Uh, intros yes. intros seem to be becoming Mark's territory. Yeah, <laughs> I actually I actually have one addendum to your intro before your intro becomes the intro. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm hoping that you'll be able to hear this. I think you will be able to. <laughs> I hear a can. Okay, can you hear a can opening, and that, sir, is a can that I saved just for this podcast. It is. Because in my hand, I hold a freshly opened Orion. Oh, perfect beer. Have you tried it yet? Or is I have. This is, this is this number six of the six pack. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so I saved just this. Um, I went perfect. to I went to my local Asian supermarket uh, inspired by your coverage of crying in H Mart. And mm -hmm. I will drink an Orion during this perfect. podcast. Damn, I'm jealous. I I have one upstairs, but uh, oh, that's good. I'll I can wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rice lager. It's great. Very good. Thank you for that pre-intro intro. intro. <laughs> for the uh, for the other one, so I saw someone at the post office. These are these are intro. I have two intros locked and loaded. Mm. Uh, just from encounters in the wild. The last. So the next two. I've got just from random stuff I've done the last couple of weeks. Um, random book related things. Yeah. So I saw, I saw Ursula K. Le Guin at the post office. What? I had no idea she would like, so you were in Colorado. She's in Colorado. No, she sadly, she passed away three years ago, uh, but she is being honored with her own postage stamp. <sighs> you tricked me. Okay. Yeah, I did. <laughs> 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 actual if any actual Le Guin fans are listening that 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 first 30 seconds they were like bullshit <laughs> <laughs> no if they if they're hardcore fans they probably know about this um so uh i'm gonna read something from the is uh, ursula Le Guin canadian yeah but um so the 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 post office has a literary arts series okay uh, and she is the 33rd member of the Literary Arts series. Okay. So I'm going to read from this section on the, the USPS website. So yeah, the 33rd stamp in the Literary Arts series honors Ursula K. Le Guin, 1929 to 2018, mm -hmm. who expanded the scope of literature through novels and short stories that increased critical and popular appreciation of science fiction and fantasy. Mm-hmm. In fiction, informed by her lifelong interest in mythology, anthropology, feminism, and Taoism, as well as through her wide-ranging translations, essays, poetry, and nonfiction, Le Guin demonstrated that no writer needed to be limited by the boundaries of any genre. Nice. And so the stamp itself, uh, it's a portrait of her uh, taken in 2006, so when mm -hmm. she was older. And the background is a scene from The Left Hand of Darkness, nice. which I covered on the pod or at least talked about. I can't remember if it was its own episode. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, yeah, the website goes on to kind of describe her bibliography and all that. But so I'm wondering, do you can, can you name any of the other authors that have their own stamps? So she was number 30. She was number 33. So I 30, blew 32 the, others. I blew the fuck up out of your intro because as soon as you started talking about this, I went and Googled it. Yeah, I hear you fucking clicking around. 
stop it. <laughs> okay, I have a different addendum. Uh, okay, this is the addendum intro land. This is the Trevor addendum intro. Now that I blew up the spot and freaking looked everything up, so I completely destroyed your intro in the guessing game, let's go over... I was thinking, let's go over the list of who we've covered. Okay. okay. Yeah. So instead of me guessing, because I totally <laughs> destroyed everything, let's just... Okay, so the first one is Steinbeck. Yeah. Start, so it started in 73 uh, up till now. And mm -hmm. so 33, they've basically... They haven't done one a year, but they've mm -hmm. done kind of close. Yeah. Some years with multiple. Mm -hmm. So... It, they did Steinbeck first. We've covered Steinbeck. Yeah. Uh, Paisano. Mm -hmm. What was that book? Um, it's pretty, very early. Tortilla Flats. Yeah, Tortilla Flat. Yeah, so Tortilla Flat, we did that. Um, Edith Wharton, I don't think we've covered. Don't think so. Nathaniel. I, I have. Nathaniel Hawthorne. I have not covered Nathaniel Hawthorne. Nope. I have done the next one, Herman Melville, Moby Dick. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty recent. Yeah. So you can see there, there. So Steinbeck was a 15 cent stamp, and you can see already like from 73 to 83. Inflation. It's a, yeah, 20 cent stamp already. <laughs> <laughs> and they just keep getting. We have not done T.S. Eliot. That's the next one. So are you, are you looking up what these stamps look like as we go? I Should, can uh, see them. Yeah. 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 So what is, uh, I need to pull, pull them up too, but what's the Steinbeck one look like? I mean, it is looks it... like at first they were just basically just like putting the person's face. Okay. Like, like it's, you know, it's almost like how the person's face would look on like a U.S. dollar, you know, like an, engra yep. an engraving. And it goes like that for a while until they get to, uh, a certain one um but okay so we haven't done t.s Eliot. nope no but have you read t.s Eliot? the wasteland is yeah okay. read that like, one i don't know if i have like really we've done faulkner the faulkner stamp is is sick i was gonna mention that 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 would be awesome as a poster you see this thing yeah with his pipe in his mouth it's just perfect yeah it's a green <laughs> it's like a green portrait like you said mm -hmm. but he's just like sitting there like a pimp with a pipe <laughs> literary pimp it is his hair is perfect uh hemingway <laughs> so hemingway is where they change it up right yeah the hemingway one looks like a airbrushed thing on from like a van yeah it's like a <laughs> it's not a real yeah, it's more of a, a portrait than a like a yeah. photograph. And in color, like in, in different yeah. colors. It's so like I, really I, smoothed out though. It's got like filter on it. I think I did Hemingway, right? There's something that I did. Yeah. I think I did Hemingway short stories. Um possibly. Marianne Moore. I don't even know who that is. Which That's, might be uh, a, a problem. Yeah, see, we we might get lost in the, the weeds here. Uh, female poet, great female poet. Yeah, just not enough uh, poetry that we cover. William Sarian. Don't know who that is. Dorothy Parker, have you read her? Nope. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I need to look her up. She's another poet. No, Dorothy Parker also did like... Uh, all that rises must converge and stuff like that. No, that's uh, that's further on down the list. Oh, is it? That's Flannery O'Connor. Mm, fine. So I got Dorothy Parker and Flannery O'Connor confused. So sue yep. me. James Thurber. I don't know who that is. I, ha I have read James Thurber and part of uh, his what makes his stamp cool is that. So he was a cartoonist as well as like a. Oh, I get it now. Like an author. Yeah. He wrote a book. He wrote like a book of nonsense, which for like kind of like for kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but he also has like he had his own kind of style of cartoons. So that's why his like his stamp is a is a cartoon portrait. Tennessee Williams. Can't say cool. can't say that I've read Tennessee Williams. Uh, we did in school. But what did he like? Write? Uh, street streetcar. Oh, if he wrote streetcar, then yeah, I've read streetcar. Yeah. I think I'm I hope I'm not being an <laughs> idiot there. 
F. Scott Fitzgerald. I don't think we've covered him, but everyone has read, you know, Gatsby. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thornton Wilder. Yeah, who that? Who that? Thornton Wilder. American um, playwright. The Kabbalah, the Bridge of San Luis, Our Town. Whatever. Uh, Stephen Vincent Vincent Bennett. I don't know who Bennett, that is. Benet, probably, Benet. but I don't. I I don't know. And by this, we have uh, we from nineteen seventy three to ninety eight. Now we've uh, doubled our our cost of the stamp mm. or value of the stamp. The next is everyone's favorite author. Yeah, we got Ayn Rand and her. She's mm. got like a totally. Uh, her sort of design yeah it's definitely it's, it's kind of like her covers rand. and stuff yeah she's looking very stern stern yeah okay so they have the iron rand stamp then thomas wolf didn't you do wolf something uh no i've 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 i have some books of his that i have not uh been able to touch yet i don't know anything about this guy this is a good kind of like reading list, honestly. Yeah. Ogden Nash. Don't. I'm not sure who that is. Humorous. Funny. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Zora Zora Neil Hurston. Mm-hmm. Again, so maybe we uh, can pick up some recommendations from this list. Right. You did the next person, right? You did James Baldwin. I thought you talked about like yep. an essay of his. Yeah, I covered James Baldwin mm-hmm. uh, last or earlier this year, I think. Wait, what? That makes like no sense on this What's like up? on this like stamps website that I'm seeing. It's like you click into James Baldwin, and then it's like an article about Richard Wright. <laughs> it's like a different oh. black author. <laughs> Whatever. Um, yeah, I covered the fire next time. Yes. Before. There's all one. Moss Hart. I don't know who Moss Hart is. Another another playwright. See, they're big on playwrights. Not me. The man who came to dinner. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Robert. Oh, he Pen- did he uh he did a Star is Born. Oh, okay. Robert The first Pen- one. <laughs> Robert Penn Warren. Oh, RPW. <laughs> you big yeah, RPW I don't know. guy. <laughs> oh, RPW, you don't know? <laughs> Catherine Ann Porter. Catherine Ann Porter. Okay. Nope. Richard Wright. Oh, wait. No, I skipped one. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. That's like a name. Yeah, that's definitely a name. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. American poet. Portland, Porter Maine. Oh, he's from Maine. Nice. Interesting. Richard Wright is who I was talking about. If I had never covered it on the podcast, but have you read uh, his book, uh, Native Son? Yes. Yeah. I read crazy. I read that um, as like kind of a connection to the another person. A uh, few a few names down, Ralph Ellison. Wait, is Native Son? There's one of his books. It's either Native Son or his other huge, like really famous book is Black Boy, and one of them yep. starts with like him burning the house down uh it's not the one that it, i've read i think it's black book. then yeah so Ju- we got yeah go ahead you go J- julia de burgos i don't know who that is but her stamp is pretty awesome it's yeah, like, a, yeah. like a beach background it's like nice and blue and the like painting itself is like kind of cool. i think she was um a very cool writer because i i have something i'm gonna mention uh, or talk about after we finish this list mm. i found a, i found an article about how they kind of go about choosing the authors uh, okay for these series mark twain never heard of him yeah loser loser uh oh henry honestly yep. i don't even know that much about oh henry he did a lot of short stories that he wrote i believe Ooh. he did the he did the just like mm. You know, I you sell your cup holder to buy your wife like <laughs> a wig or something, but she mm-hmm. sells her comb, right, to buy you a cup <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> that sort of the gift of the magi, you know, 
Ralph Ellison. Did. So you did yeah. Invisible Man. Yep. Yep. That seemed awesome. Yeah, it's a great book. So 91 cents now. Jesus. 2014. Look at that. It doubled from 12, 2012 to 2014. What happened there? 9-11. No, that was like 10 years earlier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Flannery O'Connor, who yep. we were just talking about, who I don't know. I get confused. Gothic. Hen Henry James. I've read a bit of Henry James because he wrote like a famous like novel about uh, like a young man moving to London. And I read and someone gifted it to me when I was moving to London. Wait, no. Joker who wrote uh, Turn of the Screw that I trashed on all the time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, he also wrote some other like thing. Well, he probably wrote some good stuff, but Turn of the Screw intro is hilarious. Walt Whitman. Yep. Leaves of Grass. Yeah. And, and then, then Ursula. Ursula. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Nice. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Might well, to, I will uh, click out of my browser tab so that I no longer <laughs> ruin everything. Yeah, I'm going to be like, I read, I read an article. And you'd be like, yeah, I found it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I found an article on the site Book Riot. Mm -hmm. that we uh, frequent Good site. from time to time. And uh, I just want to read a little bit from it. The literary arts series has featured an author on a stamp every year since 1979. First of all, that that doesn't line up with what we just saw. Not every year, and it started in 73. Uh, they try to choose a wide range of literary figures, both in terms of diversity of gender, race, and in subject matter. The stamps feature a portrait of the author with a background inspired by the themes of one or all of their works. Mm -hmm. We don't shy away from artists that people wouldn't probably instantly recognize. We see the stamp program as an educational piece for the country, part of our history, said Bill Gicker, stamp services representative. Some of the more popular stamps in the series have included poet Walt Whitman and author Ralph Ellison. One of Gicker's personal favorites was the stamp honoring Flannery O'Connor, released in 2015. She wrote about the South, and her writing was very ethereal and some might say a little creepy. Dark, he said. Often these stamps try to capture a scene from one of the author's iconic works. But for this one, artist Sam Weber portrayed O'Connor with a background of peacock feathers. He casts a particular light on a subject matter that gave an air of mystery and mystique. The goal of literary stamps and other stamps as well is to educate and to intrigue. Stamp services strikes to represent the best of America and its culture and diversity as such. Part of that is treating the stamps like miniature works of art, meant to pull people in and capture their interests. We can't tell an entire story with a stamp. It's a it's a one inch by one inch square, said Gicker. We see it as a tip of the spear. We hope to intrigue people enough that they look into the subject matter, start their own research. Our job is to intrigue people enough to go, hmm, who's that? And then dig a little deeper. So maybe we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was there anyone who we didn't know that wasn't just a, that wasn't a poet or a playwright that was like a novelist that we can uh, Definitely. Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely like a like a list there of being able to kind of be inspired by those stamps. That's cool. I I can't recall exactly who, <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to go who back we were talking yeah. about 30 seconds ago, but yeah, me neither. I just have peanut brain lately. Um, but yeah, I think I gotta see if that Faulkner poster exists. I bet it does. Pretty sick. Probably. <laughs> but uh, I did look through it, the list, and I, I had kind of thought of the same thing you did uh, when I was preparing this. But out of the 33, we've covered or at least talked about uh, 13 of them. Ooh, well, we're on track. Yeah, so decent. <laughs> and then kind of going through it, there may be a couple more that we at least, you know, knew a decent amount about but yeah so if you go to your local post office um they probably have an advertisement for it they also have um some new <laughs> they also have some new stamps uh for like the holiday or whatever mm -hmm. and i saw i saw one that was like otters in the snow or whatever you know they have like otters in the snow <laughs> yeah it's like a holiday winter winter themed one that's not like mm -hmm. specific to holidays or whatever but 
So I actually bought I bought uh I bought some of them, the otter ones for my girlfriend because she loves otters. And nice. Uh the guy, the guy at the register, you know, obviously works have a, with you know, works at the post office, like mail is his whole thing. He was like <laughs> He was like, "Yeah, these ones are these ones are sick." <laughs> he like, he's like, "These ones are gonna be fire." <laughs> like, yes. I think that's what he said. <laughs> Amazing. Did you these see? There was actually fire. I like. I don't know if there's like a market or like you know. There is like a world out there of stamps. There was like a thing recently on, uh, you know, last week tonight with John Oliver. Yeah, and he set aside like twenty minutes of one episode recently because they like trolled this like there's a contest for painting uh the duck stamp every year they have a panel of judges and they have to, and people submit their duck stamps paintings okay. and then you know in typical you know fashion, is it like a new design every year or you're yeah. trying to copy okay no it's a new design and uh john oliver and his team like submit their own designs <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's ridiculous <laughs> And he like finds out about this ridiculous feud between two people who do the paintings every year. It, just check it out. It's weird. <laughs> There's a whole world of stamps out there. That's cool. <laughs> Dude, these ones are going to be fire. Fire. <laughs> yes. Their series is going to be fire. I can't wait so to see the envelopes I, sliding across. Yeah, I got in early. So they're, they're probably like doubled in. Yeah, dude, By put now. them under put them under glass quick. Yeah. Did they probably have oh they absolutely have like PSA grading for stamps for sure. They have I'm it for sure. everything now. Yeah. You go to like the comic book store and you can't like you can't open or flip comic books or whatever. It's like <laughs> they're they're like in a glass case. Sealed case, yeah. Sad. Or whatever. But so I think you're going first right now. We we didn't really know who was supposed to go first, so we I flipped a first. coin in my I flipped a <laughs> coin in my head and I said, Trevor, you go first. Yeah, okay, I'll go first. Okay. Um so the author that I did this this time is not on the list. Actually, that's the re that's the reason why I was like, oh, it'll be a good opportunity if if my author is on the list. And um yeah, no segue today. No segue. So um, I'm going to read it. Why don't I do first and last of my book? And I bet you I'll, you'll be able to tell uh, who it's by. Famous first sentence, but let's do first and last just to amuse ourselves with what we do on this podcast. All right. So the first sentence wa is... It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> and the last sentence is, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest than I go to than I have ever known. Who wrote uh, that? This it was, Dickens, right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah, it's Dickens. So basically, Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Nice. Um, not, <laughs> uh, if you don't feel like reading this book, you can watch a tale of two kitties, the, uh, Garfield movie, Ooh. which will give you the, the plot, the plot. Definitely point by point. Yeah. Chalk up another point <laughs> for mentioning Garfield on this podcast. I'm, I'm we went trying to every time we went through a, a period where it was very frequent, but now. We haven't mentioned Garfield, I think, in a while. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so obviously this is something that's just like, you know, those books like it's sitting on your shelf. Like, where did I buy a Tale of Two Cities? I have no idea. I actually think I probably must have bought it in London because my copy here has a ticket stub from 2011 World Cinemas, which is like a chain in the UK. And someone went to go see Harry Potter 7.2. Someone? Not me. Oh, oh, you bought it. Okay, yeah. No, yeah, yeah I bought there. it used. And then whoever had this book, it was in 2011 on the 17th of July. They went and saw Harry Potter, the second cool. 
the second of the seven movie of the seventh movie. Um, so yeah, obviously this has just been like you just have classics sitting on your shelf, right? Yeah. And for my like, I feel like it's a default of like, oh, what's the next book that I'm gonna read? And then the opportunity to discover a classic author is sort of an easy choice. So that's what I did. Um, a Tale to Cities. I believe lots of people probably had to read this for school. I did not because you and I were not in the advanced English classes for whatever reason. Yeah. I'm sure whoever was in the advanced English classes isn't making literary podcasts. So <laughs> probably not. Shove it up your ass, public school system. Touched the book since, right? <laughs> Hasn't touched the book since, it, since they weren't getting credit for it or whatever. Um <laughs> So yeah, Charles Dickens. Who is Dickens? Um, so Charles Dickens, born February 1812, dies June 1870. So he dies 30 years before Alfred Hitchcock is born. Okay. And the, the, the touchstone of that's the touch. That's my yeah. all of my literary references are based on 1899. But what's also interesting. So if you look at Charles Dickens' Wikipedia, is regarded by many as the greatest novelist of the Victorian era. And I think we've talked about before how, like, doesn't the Victorian era just, when someone says that, it's like, oh, that's ancient history. Like, that's so long ago, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Like, yeah, Victorian era. But actually, Queen Victoria's reign is from 1837 until her death in 1901 two years after Alfred Hitchcock is born. <laughs> so she was around for a while, like 1901, you know, 120 years ago. Yeah. But um, it's just interesting because I feel like you hear Victorian and then you're just like, that sounds old. Um, but it wasn't super long ago. But that, that having said that, you know, a tale of two cities is in 1859. So it's a pretty old book, by the way, I didn't even know what to, what do you know what the two cities are? Nope. Which two cities? It's London and Paris. Okay. And there's actually a funny thing also on the Wikipedia of Tale of Two Cities. I definitely agree. Even though I like know nothing about the era at all. Um, I agree with, uh, uh, you know how there's like literary beefs between people? Yeah. So do you know uh, George-Louis Borges? Yeah. yeah so he was like a short story writer essayist poet and translator and he says of dickens that dickens lived in london in his book a tale of two cities based on the french revolution we see that he really could not write a tale of two cities he was a resident of just one city london <laughs> <laughs> but his descriptions of paris are like way off or um i don't know if like borges is saying exactly that but i definitely i identify with that quote about the book because the book itself is very like, oh, here's what's happening in London. There's like a happy storyline with like these two get married and like this guy has a crush on that girl. And like, oh, like once this character gets back to London, his life starts to get better. And then every time like all the parallel action is back in France during the French Revolution. And it's like France is a shithole. <laughs> Like everything over here is garbage and everyone is like starving and dying. Like the crops that like it didn't even grow any crops this year. And it's like, uh, it seems like he definitely favors one of these over the other. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess getting into it, like getting into Dickens first, let's like, before I get into the plot of the tale of two cities, I would say, you know, I wasn't my favorite book of all time, but I guess reading it is sort of like, I get it right. Like, you like it's kind of one of those classic situations like okay we know why this guy is famous he's a good writer you know those epic things of like it was the best of times it was the worst of times it's not just that like you know it's not just like sentences like that like that's not the only good sentence in the book it's like there's a lot of good stuff where it's like, he'll start out. Usually I find usually at like the beginnings of certain like um, chapters or like sections, there's three, there's like books within the book. There's three like major sections. And I usually find that some of his like 
best writing is when he backs off from like the plot and character development and more has like like weird esoteric things to say about you know life mm-hmm. um I actually would like to read the full first paragraph because, of course, the first sentence gets all the attention, like, oh, one of the best opening sentences of all time. But I actually thought it was pretty cool um, because I think, like, this paragraph would make you feel like he's writing about your specific time period, no matter what time period you're living in. Uh, Okay. But I think that you'll see, like, as I read this, you can apply it to all walks of life and it's kind of interesting so here's the first paragraph it was the best of times it was the worst of times it was the age of wisdom it was the age of foolishness it was the epoch of belief and it was the epoch of incredulity it was the season of light it was the season of darkness and it was the spring of hope it was the winter of despair we had everything before us we had nothing before us we were all going direct to heaven and we were all going direct the other way in short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. So in a weird way, I think that that paragraph is kind of like about polarity. You know, like everyone mm-hmm. now is talking about like you're either this or that. Like you're 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 like you're famous or you're canceled. You're uh you know you're right or you're left. Like if you're not this, then you're definitely that like choose a, choose a lane. And I kind of think that's what he's saying here too. That last sentence, uh, some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. So basically like, you know, I, I honestly feel like, you know, that's like a polarized kind of like thing that he's talking about. Yeah. It's horrible or amazing. Yeah. And honestly, that's also how he treats London and Paris. It's like London is <laughs> London is nice. Paris is a shithole. And what's I guess uh, they say, I mean, it's weird that they call this one of his two historical novels. I don't like I don't really know what the kind of like I'd have to read an annotated version to find out like, oh, that really happened or this really happened or whatever. But um before I go into the actual plot, just a second about Charles Dickens. His life is like pretty interesting, pretty cool. He's one of those people, like the classic story of like his dad was like a piece of shit. Like his dad was in debt all the time and stuff like that. And he is like a child who worked in a factory. Like legitimately when he was like 10 years old, he worked in a factory for 10 hours a day. Yeah. And then later on in his life, he, he was political and like vigorous about um, campaigning for ch- children's rights and education and social reforms and things like that. Because he was like, hey, I spent like a bunch of time working, you know, to the bone when I was like a child. Which is pretty cool. Um, not cool, necessarily, but interesting. Um. So to get into the plot of A Tale of Two Cities, like I said, there's three sections. There's three books. Um, The first one is called Recalled to Life. And that mainly centers around this guy. There's sort of this mysterious figure who's in Paris who actually lives in a literal like garret above a wine shop. So he has the top apartment above a wine shop. And he's sort of mysterious up there, like keeping to his own business and sort of a dark like shadowy figure and the first part of the book is this banker lawyer general in general kind of like kind-hearted guy who is going to pick him up from said garrett because he's going to tell them that his daughter is who he thought was dead is actually alive and he's going to reunite them so this guy um I, I even forget his name i forget everyone's name it's kind of hard um lucy yeah, yeah, yeah oh yeah manette the the father is dr alexander manette and his daughter is lucy so she basically comes back into his life and she's like hey come back to london with me like live a good life like you like we you didn't know that i was still alive but i am and he's like oh my god i'm gonna get over my ptsd and my trauma and come back to london and be a proper like person again 
Um, one thing that I did find, like, the, I think it's the beginning of book two. Um, I believe it's the beginning of book two, or it's definitely the beginning of one of the chapters. So they go back to Paris and London. I mean, they go back to London together. They're like sort of reunited. And then it weirdly like starts out where it's like they're in a trial, like in a courtroom. And you're like, what are they doing here? Like, what is this? And then it starts talking about how there's this guy, um, Charles Darnay, a Frenchman of the noble family of, you know, France or whatever. And he had recently crossed the water. Um, the city right across the water from France is called Dover. Um, actually been there. It's very, the cliffs of Dover. Have you ever heard of oh, that? Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's right across the water from France. It's sort of like the port of the UK where you would be arriving and or leaving to go to Paris. And what's really weird uh, that I found like really strange about, you know, Tale of Two Cities is they're like, okay, all of a sudden they're in their court, this courtroom and they're giving, you know, witness that they had seen this guy, Charles Darnay on the boat and blah, blah, blah. And there's like some like random, I can't even remember what it was, but they're basically saving his life by being like, no, he didn't do that. We, he was on with us on the boat this whole time. And there's like these two lawyers who are the prosecution and the defense and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought it was overall really weird because it was like this total tone shift of like, oh, we're going to save this guy in court. But they didn't even like discuss anything to do with the journey or the boat or anything. Oh, just jump. <laughs> Yeah, they just jumped right kind of just yeah. like time warped. And I was like, what the hell am I reading right now? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the, and and then eventually, you know, obviously Darnay, he's like the main male character. What happens? He falls in love with Lucy, the daughter, and they have sort of like this romance. And, uh, you know, all that stuff is good. Actually, the two lawyers from the trial, if anything can be good said about the trial, is that those guys... Um, they become really interesting. Actually, Sidney Carton, who's the like the more subservient of the two lawyers, he becomes really important like throughout the rest of the book. I guess that's like where it kind of like comes in. But okay. I, I have a I have a question real quick. Yeah. So what I know from all the like hundreds of parodies of A Tale mm -hmm. of Two Cities that I've seen is that they focus on the case of like mistaken identity and like swapping roles or whatever. Is that just like one of the. It's like one part of one of the three books. It's what? Not like a big deal. <laughs> Cause that's like, that's the entire thing that was like in wishbone, the Garfield movie I'm talking <laughs> wishbone. about. Lo yeah. Looney tunes. Uh, you know, that that was the whole thing. It's like the the two people like it's like basically parent trap or whatever. <laughs> like it's kind so, of so that's just part of it. It's like the end of it, basically. Okay, that's okay. what it is. Is that it's like the important end of it. Um. So anyway, this guy like actually those the two lawyers were actually kind of like my favorite part of the book because there is a few chapters where they talk about how they get like so super wasted like all the time throughout the day like all they do is drink and drink and drink and then there's like the senior guy is kind of like the bully you know like the leader and carton who is the sub more subservient guy they just have like these funny days where it's like okay dude we're in your apartment and we're getting super drunk on wine but we have so much work to do. And they like wrap their heads in towels, like trying to like sober up. And they're like, <laughs> and so it's just funny, like to think of these two, you know, old English men, like in the 1800s, it's like they were wrapping their heads in towels and being like, oh my God, we have so much paperwork to fill out, but like, let's keep going and keep drinking. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, but yes, the car, the whole thing, like the mistaken identity thing comes from, like Carton at the end, basically like spoiler alert, but he basically kind of like saves Charles Darnay's life because of his own feelings for Lucy and stuff like that. Um, unless I'm getting that totally wrong. Okay. So one thing that I can't say about the book is that there's parts where it's ridiculously easy to understand. And then there's parts where it's not easy to understand. Uh, there's a few almost like I would dare I say almost like Lynchian 
moments in a tale of two cities like there's this one part when france really starts to turn to shit there's this one part that's the beginning of one of the books where it's like this mysterious have you seen the return twin peaks the return oh yeah that's a bunch of times so you know how the like there's sort of like those like mysterious like kind of like homeless men that are covered in like black ash Mm -hmm. yeah and they make that weird noise got a light yeah got a light got a light yep Got a light. So there's kind of like a character like that in like one in like the beginning of one of the books where it's like France is falling apart, but there's like basically these guys like that roaming the countryside, like setting fire to all these different like uh so because basically what was happening in the French Revolution, right? Which is also interesting to read during this time of like crazy income disparity, is that the like for lack of a better term, I don't know if I'm using it right, but the serfs were like the common people were taking over. And basically everyone who was an aristocrat becomes a piece of shit that doesn't deserve to live. So they're burning down all the old mansions and like, oh, all the laws are different now because it's like the French Revolution. Fuck the king, everyone who was, you know, whatever. And then that goes into effect that, you know, that guy, Charles Darnay, he was a French aristocrat. So there's a bunch of like unrest back home in France. So he takes it upon himself in the third book. He's like, oh, I'm going to like peace out and go um back to france to like see what's going on and they're like dude you should not have come back because now we're putting you in jail like you're just (laughs) you're basically done after he has this like grand you know happy love story reuniting lucy with her father and they get married and everything so that's kind of like the how it all gets wrapped up um but plot points be damned like i said it's mostly about like it's like we've always said you know, these these classic authors really are kind of like more heavy hitting when it's like the like in the middle of a paragraph or in the middle of a thought or whatever. They just kind of say something beautiful about life, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. And it's everywhere in the tale of two cities. That's why it wasn't like as hard to read. Sometimes I was like, what the fuck? But then other times it was like, oh, that's like really nice. Um, so, you know, that's always good. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what makes it a classic, right? Yeah. So that's what makes it a classic. You know, I, you know, dip my hand in, dip my toe into the water of Dickens. I mean, there's like so much to read. Obviously, I'm not going to read his whole bibliography, but it was cool. Yeah. Tale of Two Cities. Some people say that this is like not his masterpiece or whatever, but it was still, it was still nice. That's good. Yeah. So I I mean honestly I would say it's kind of one of those books like I would recommend it to you Mark because I know that you enjoyed the act of reading but someone who was like hey recommend me a book I wouldn't be like Tale of Two Cities bro <laughs> like <laughs> because you have to enjoy just the I like the act of reading like there is stuff going on where you're sort of just like I don't really care like honestly sure, it's a little bit of a haul yeah yeah gotcha. like you know there are certain things like lucy is like a little bit of like a flat character always just being like i want the best for my father and my love and blah 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 and you know it's like who cares but um <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty cool and uh i have a one star review here from goodreads and peter meredith on Goodreads says it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the dullest of books. This was so bad that I had to go and revise my rating of pride and prejudice. At least that book had wonderful prose. This one has nothing. Dickens takes forever to get to the point on anything. Oh, so his his name's Meredith, Peter Meredith. (laughs) I'm sure your one star rating of, Tale of Two Cities on Goodreads will outlast Mr. Dickens' novel. <laughs> For sure. For many, many years to come. <laughs> oh, 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 another cool thing, like that was like it was cool research researching Dickens, like just in general, for you know, reading about his life in the podcast. He's like one of those guys, you know how you and I have talked about before how uh um what's the Dumas book that we both love? Count of Monte Cristo. Count the Count. You know how it came out like in installments, mm-hmm. like in little episodes. All of Dickens' books did that too. 
um, which is pretty cool. So it's like this, this, uh, he became famous with the Pickwick papers, which, uh, Wikipedia says was a publishing phenomenon. And, uh, it also says that, you know, basically everything that he was writing was coming out in serial publication. Like that was the way, uh, in that Victorian era. And then it also said that there is proof that he would take like advice from like audience reaction. Um, like, like episodes would come out and he would be like, oh, it was like well-received or poorly received, or this character was good, or this character was bad. And then he would like pump up that character or change. Oh, nice. Yeah. He was treating it like a, a series. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So uh, there is, they say that there is evidence that it was evolving, like, you know, because they have his letters and stuff like that. So things would come out and then he would be like, oh shit, fuck that up. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. Like, yeah, there all those installments kind of. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they should like, I don't know if that's what chapters are or, you know, whatever. But when they publish serialized books, I, I'm sure that they do that in like annotated versions because now we want novels more, right? We want like the yeah. whole the whole thing. We don't really do that anymore. But it would be cool if they like annotated like what was an end. Yeah, we don't we don't have the patience for that. Come on, like when when Netflix <laughs> they can't re- release stuff one episode at a time anymore. It has to be like the dump on the first day. Yeah, it always makes me think of this tweet from. Uh, I forget who it was. It's a it's a famous tweet or whatever. This person's like, you know, a single a single notch or like a single Dorito has enough like extreme nacho flavor to like drive a peasant from the 1700s insane. Like, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> they just couldn't handle like, you know, having all the uh, all the stuff that we have. Exactly. They they needed their books in pieces. I mean, come on. In tiny little installments. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's hey man i mean i it would be crazy to be part like the same idea of what they call a water cooler show now like when breaking bad or game of thrones like when it comes out people talk about it that's what they call a water cooler show i it's insane to imagine a world where it's like that it was like little snippets of stories and people were like did you read it did you read the most recent one like that would be so crazy like imagine living in that world yeah and like tons of people being like, yeah, I, I collect all of them. Like I have them all. Like, you know, you know, I went and read the other, like the the one from three times ago, and this is like what's happening. Yeah, you like fashion your own binding and stuff like that. Oh my god, that'd that's be cool. So crazy. Yeah. I wonder if any of those old things. I mean, I'm sure that they do somewhere, like a museum in London or something, has like some the of originals. the original, yeah, publications. Yeah. That's like so crazy. That's like comic book to the extreme. <laughs> No, that sounds great. I mean, another another classic tackled. Another classic tackled. Now, when you know, at all of the literary salons that I <laughs> frequent, when everyone's talking about Dickens, as you are wont to do in 2021 at parties, I'll know what to say. Yeah, it's like you're you got your you earned your scout badge for Dickens <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Dickens never gonna come up in my life ever again. <laughs> there we go. Tale of two cities. Yeah. Oh, well, there'll be another adaptation oh, like the sure. Garfield one. For sure. Yeah. So sounds good. Yep. You can find it um, anywhere. You can find it literally anywhere. You can Google it. Probably one it. in your house right now. Yeah. It's probably one in your house. There's probably one down the street. There's probably one in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> or it's uh, public domain. This is, yeah, I mean, again, like having bought this at least somewhere in London, I can definitely tell you I probably paid like, you know, something ridiculous, like one pound or something. Yeah. I probably also was in London being like, I should buy Charles Dickens because I'm in London. (laughs) (laughs) Loser. Loser. Anyways. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, All right. Moving on to number two. So. Who do you think of when I say deep observation or introspection, introspective writing? Who's uh, who's the first person pops in your head? Wow. Deep introspective writing. Yep. Proust. Okay. Who's second? Uh, 
someone who's super deep. Bashima. <laughs> All right, who's third? <laughs> <laughs> Is this supposed to be someone like common to us? Uh, yeah. DFW. Nope. Uh, f- I right, one more. Uh, Faulkner. No. Uh, I'm talking about Nausgaard. Karl Ulva. That's right. So we can edit it and nice. say you got it on the third one. Yeah, Carl Ove. Um, so you have covered his book about Edvard Munch. Yes, uh, so and, much longing in so little space. Yeah, and so we we know about the you know the My Struggle series. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, first book, I've, best book. Yeah, I've I've read the first two. I've read the first two as well, and that's why I'm saying the first one is like knocks it out of the park, but the second yeah. one's like meh. Yeah, who knows what three, four, five, six <laughs> hold. But uh, so for this week, I didn't touch either of those. I read the first book of his seasonal quartet. You heard about this one? Only from only from you, mysteriously. It. Yeah. So what does it start with? Winter. Uh, it starts with autumn. Okay. So I read autumn, which is that's weird. Know, he's for... like he's like copying that other lady that I did. I know. Uh, who was that? Allie Smith. Allie Smith. Yeah, she should like take him to court. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we get these seasonal things quite a bit, though. It's a it's like, a it's a Vivaldi thing, right? He was yeah. probably he was probably the originator. Yep, he was the first, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but yeah, perfect time to read it as we uh, we're in in fall now, and I mean, it doesn't really have anything to do with autumn. It's just kind of like lines up with the timeline mm-hmm. of when he was writing it. But mm-hmm. so in this book. Rather than discuss his personal history or recall events from his life, like he does in uh, My Struggle, mm-hmm. he, he switches up the format a bit, which I found pretty interesting. Uh, and I think you'll like this. So, this book is addressed to his un. So, he's writing it while his wife is pregnant. Okay. Uh, his second wife. And uh, he already has. Get- not to, yeah, he's it's his fourth child, I believe. It's not not to get too deep into his personal history and his personal life because it's it's a whole big thing. Well, shit. I uh, mean, if you're already talking about second wife, then we then yeah, you know it, that. Yeah. Well, but his first wife and ch- and two children are like really important in the second book of my struggle. <laughs> exactly. <Yep. laughs> All right, fine, Carl. Fucking yeah, he's a Rolling Stone, I guess, but um. So yeah, it's addressed to his unborn daughter and he is, he basically takes it as an opportunity to kind of expound on random things that you encounter in life, like kind of like a little guidebook to her, mm-hmm. uh, random things like apples, chimneys, vince, uh, mm-hmm. piss, wasps mm. and forgiveness, stuff like that. Uh, so what what he ends up creating is like a little kind of personal encyclopedia of these subjects like here's what this is kind of and Mm. then like maybe a little memory about it or what he thinks about it and what it makes him think of and you know uh just because of his talent as a writer like it it's it's very interesting and um well that's always the theme right i think it's one of his friends says in like the second my struggle book one of his friends is like oh like carl's luck because they're all writers right and they're all talking about their careers and he's like well carl's lucky because his fans will just read if he's like taking a shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> he literally does that <laughs> he, he has a section about piss which there i go. covered uh um and yeah, like the way the way the book's chopped up, it's uh, just like a small two to three page, you know, chapter. Mm-hmm. So it's supremely readable. Uh, and it's almost like a bathroom reader type of book when you compare it to the, like the tome, like huge, ma- massive quality of like the My Struggle series as a whole, mm-hmm. or even just like first book and the long, really long kind of uh retellings that he that he does in, in those books right but yeah it's almost like the the book's theme outside of that like the the way that he talks about stuff it's kind of it's kind of like an exercise of living in the present kind of you know ex- 
acknowledging everything, every stimulus or every action as like a conscious thing, conscious act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, how do you think that sounds as like, you, it sounds like you would read the heck out of this, right? It does sound like I would read the heck out of it, but I'm not super enthused with like the idea that it's like these little snippets. Like I'm sure it's supremely readable and one thing leads to the next, but yeah, I'm not, I'm never like that. I actually have, this won't be a spoiler alert cause I won't say anything, but I have another like modern you know within the last two years book in front of me on my desk right now which i may or may not cover and it's kind of like that and there's something about that format that kind of like rubs me the wrong way and i can't sink my teeth in enough you know okay i could see that if it's just kind of jumping around too much and there's not like a thread Mm -hmm. but having said that you know it's like it's like his friend said like Carl Ove like writing an essay about taking a shit be like okay yeah I think it probably depends on the skill and the style and everything Um, but yeah he said so he says in the beginning of this book uh, he says that that is why I'm writing this book for you I want to show you the world as it is all around us all the time only by doing so will I myself these astounding things which you will soon encounter and see for yourself are so easy to lose sight of there are almost as many ways of doing that as there are people. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's kind of about giving your full attention to this next moment or just the random things that are part of your daily life. And which is probably kind of, ultimately his like massive talent. That's like kind of yeah. his thing, right? It's like, oh, like, why is it good that you're yeah. writing about like walking your kid Wasps. in a stroller or something? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, having a cigarette. <laughs> like, how many times can he, can he talk about that? Um, yeah, and it's kind of like also seeing the world through a child's eyes or attempting to, hmm. you know, in a way to introduce her to everything. And there's also parts about it that are kind of like a like a pop science sort of book full of factoids. Like, you know, it's kind of like, like, like those... Uh, I fucking love science big the universe or whatever right you know <laughs> but it's with his like uh profound observations tacked on mm-hmm. uh, so well, that's a, part... it's kind of funny that you say that because i think isn't the opening line of my struggle one is like he says something weird like your heart you know, on average beats like something you know a billion yeah. times or something like that hmm. it's kind of like that so maybe like that is just part of him so there's one part where he talks about the common housefly, how it has compound eyes and its taste cells are distributed over its entire body. Mm. And so he says, taken together, those two faculties must fragment their world immensely. For if the reflection of a room is picked up by their whole head, attention must be directed outwards to such a degree that to flies, there can hardly be any difference between themselves and the room they are in. Hmm. It's also like it's also gross. Yeah, total woe. Like you know, read it, read it with a joint in your hand. It's also yeah. like disturbing to think like, like you just said, like flies. They taste all over their body, and then they like fly into piles of shit. Put their hands together. <laughs> it's like what way. the fuck, man? <laughs> That's so gross, dude. They love that. They love it. Yep. Uh. But yeah, I, I like this book and, you know, it's not as heady, obviously, as his debut series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he would like it, though. You know, uh, he's the man kind of pure, purely as a writer, of course, like personal life aside. And that it's like it's interesting. Is it? And it's also interesting even just having read the first few of uh, my struggle, like we said, um, because sometimes eyes to people like his family and his other children who you you have mm-hmm. a background on from their appearances in earlier right. books, you know, more, there's another example of the contentious relationship with his father, of mm-hmm. course, because I don't know if he could ever run out of those. It's like <laughs> so much going on. Endless material. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I think I wanted to read a little bit from one of the chapters here on, um, on plastic bags. Cool. This is very, uh, what's that like famous movies, American psycho or, American what? Beauty. American Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. I think he might have ripped it off from them. Probably. Just like he ripped off Ali Smith. Yeah. 
Since plastic takes such an extremely long time to decompose, since the number of plastic bags in the world is so huge and just keeps increasing with every passing day, and since they are so light and can catch the wind both like a sail and like a balloon, one comes across plastic bags in the most unexpected places. Yesterday, as I parked the car after a trip to the shop, a plastic bag was flapping from the roof of the house. The handle had snagged onto the climbing plant that grows there. And some days before that, when I was going to plant four red currant bushes I had bought and was digging holes for them a few meters from the fence at one end of the garden, I struck a layer of broken roof tiles and strips of plastic, which I realized from the printed logo must be shopping bags. How they had ended up there, I don't know, but there was something disturbing about the sight of them. For the thin plastic, so white and smooth against the black and crumbling mold, was so obviously a foreign substance. That property soil has of transforming everything that ends up in it into itself does not apply to plastic, which is made in such a way that it repels everything. The soil slides over the surface of the plastic, finding no hold, no place to penetrate, and the same goes for water. The plastic bag has something inviolable about it. It seems to exist in a place beyond, including time, and it's an inexorable modality. I felt a stack side of the buried bags without quite understanding why. It may have been the thought of pollution. It may have been the thought of death, but it may also have been the thought that I wouldn't be able to plant the red currants there after all. Presumably it was all of these, all of these at once. As I pushed the shovel down with my foot into the soil a bit further away and began digging a hole there, I reflected on why nearly all my thoughts and associations ran in that direction, ending in problems and worries and darkness instead of in joy, ease, and light. One of the most beautiful things I have ever seen was a plastic bag adrift in the water beyond a jetty on an island far out at sea. So why hadn't that come to mind instead? That's like exactly like the American Beauty thing. <laughs> um, the water had been perfectly limpid the way it gets when it's cold and still with a faint, cool green tinge to it. And the plastic bag had hung at a depth of maybe 10 feet, distended and motionless. It resembled nothing other than itself. No creature, no jellyfish, nor a hot air balloon. It was just a plastic bag. Yet I remained standing there, look at it, looking at it. This was on Sandoya, the outermost of the group of islands known as Bulende, which lies far out to sea beyond the west coast of North. Besides me, only three people lived there. The air was freezing cold. The jetty I was standing on was partly covered with snow. I used to go there every day, attracted by that subaquatic world, down into which chains and mooring lines disappeared, its limpidity and inaccessibility. The starfish, the clustered shells, the seaweed, but most of all the space they appeared in, the sea, which on the other side of the island struck the land in long, heavy rollers, but which here was calm between the walls of smooth rock and the cement quay above the sandy floor of the harbor basin, which it filled with its transparency. Or the water wasn't completely transparent, it distorted the light slightly, rather like thick glass, so that the white plastic bag which for the entire time that I stood there hung absolutely motionless midway between the surface and the bottom, gleamed with a faint greenish hue and lacked the sharpness that white plastic possesses on land. Only air between it and the light, but rather seemed faintly obscured and somehow softened. Why could I hardly take my eyes off the submerged plastic bag? The sight did not fill me with joy. I did not come away feeling happy, nor was I filled with contentment when I caught sight of it. It wasn't that something stilled within me, as hunger or thirst do when they are satisfied, but it felt good to look at it the way it feels good to read a poem that ends in an image of something concrete and seems to fasten on it so that the inexhaustible within it can unfold calmly. Swollen with water, handles up, the plastic bag hung a few feet down in the water on this February day in 2002. This moment was not the beginning of anything, not even of an insight, nor was it the conclusion of anything, and maybe that is what I was thinking as I stood digging holes in the ground a few days ago, that I was still in the middle of something and always would be. Dude, I feel like, I feel like if you ever like met Carl Ove or like knew him personally, it's like, you know, that like, you know, that meme with Quentin Tarantino, like standing around doing nothing. Yeah. That's like all of Carl Ove. That's what he's doing. <laughs> he's just like standing in silence and you're like oh shit you're like you're putting like you know two and two together and he's like yeah plastic bags yeah <laughs> what the fuck man that was just, cool yeah yeah uh so i got a one-star review here from user 
Feckle Burrows, which is actually a two. It's actually a two star review, but it was I was going to say there's probably off. plenty of people. There's plenty of people who hate Carl. So yeah, oh yeah, but I just found this one, uh, and it says, "Oh, you have an opinion on chimneys? Do tell." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, and this person gave five stars to Zadie Smith and Lori Moore, so I can't really fault them. Maybe Autumn just wasn't their cup of tea. Could be like you with like, you know, the format is weird or like, oh, you're just talking about chimneys. That's stupid. Shit. Now I have to find my guy who did a five star review on what he did. A five star. Oh, review. yeah, yeah. Um, he gives them a lot of like four and a half and five star reviews to something called the Apocalypse War. The, apo- the Apocalypse Exile, Undead World number one through seven. That's so sick. The Apocalypse, the Undead World number one. Oh, what the fuck? It's books by him. <laughs> oh, God. God damn you, Peter Meredith. You're fucking giving one star to Charles Dickens and then giving five. Oh, he only gave himself four stars. Whoa. Dude, you're fucking bringing your numbers down, bro. <laughs> oh, man. The Undead World. The Apocalypse Fugitives. Jesus so you Christ, got a, uh, You got a plot, plot summary on one of these? The Apocalypse, The Undead World number one. Yeah, dude. Money, terrorism, and simple bad luck conspire to bring mankind to its knees as a viral infection spreads out of control, reducing these infect those infected to undead horrors that feed upon the rest. Okay. So Resident Evil. It's a time of misery and death for most. However, there are some who are lucky, some who are fast, and some who are just too damn tough to go down without a fight. Oh God, Peter! That's let's, ha- let's have him on the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. Oh, so, uh, yeah. Well, one last thing before we go. Uh, rest in peace to Gary Paulson. Saw that he died. Um, I believe yesterday. Wait, remind me who Gary Paulson is. Hatchet. Oh man, that's terrible. Yeah, everyone's read that one. Yeah, everyone's read Hatchet. Rest in peace, man. That sucks. Yeah. All right. Ending it on a sour note. Uh, anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another episode of SBR Shitty Book Reports. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Instagram, and Twitter, all six. And uh, we're on Gmail, sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your comments, suggestions, corrections, or whatever you're feeling. And we'll see you next episode. See ya.